Well, welcome again to In Town Church. It's great to be in worship with you. And we're embarking this morning on a study of liturgy. And we're calling it the Liturgy of Life. And over the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at each component of our liturgy, each component that we do each and every week here, and ask, why do we do it? How do we do it? And more importantly, in calling it the Liturgy of Life, how each of these components is supposed, supposed to change and transform us in our daily lives. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the overarching structure of the Christian calendar. Why do we follow a certain calendar in the church that is different from the calendar, is laid on top of the calendars that we have in our workplace, in our home, in our schools? So as we embark on this, would you uh, now pray with me for our time together? Father, I pray that you would guide us. I pray that as we look at these different components of the worship service, that you would help us to worship, that you would help us to align our hearts, our thoughts, our behaviors, our decisions with you. Father, I pray that you would not just let us receive information, but that you would give us an impression of the gospel, that you would transform us as individuals and as a church, that we would be more quick to lay our resources down, our lives down, for you. Father, I pray that this morning as we look at remembrance and anticipation and transformation through the the Christian year, that you would guide our thoughts, that you would guide me as we speak, that your word would have power in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I uh, visit my parents' house in Alabama, I often find myself looking at the old photo albums that are in their closet and browsing through them and remembering life in that family. It tells, these photo albums tell our story. Now it's Facebook or iPhoto that tell our stories. We have a feed that tells our stories and we can quickly reference uh, it most points in our life in our history very quickly. It's at our fingertips. But in my parents' house, our story is contained in these large spiral-bound albums that have sticky paper and cellophane. cellophane. And so to move one, you have to pull the cellophane back and, and then move the picture, and it sticks again, and then close it. Um, but if you walk through my parents' house, you also notice that you'll encounter other pictures that are on the walls. Pictures that are taped to the bathroom mirror. Pictures that are magnetized to the refrigerator. And these fit into our family chronology as well. But if you haven't lived the story, if they're extracted from the linear chronology that's in these photo albums, you have a hard time knowing how these pictures fit into the story of our family. Now when I look at my own family's photos on Facebook or on my computer, I can just click the photo really quickly and know where we were when that picture was taken and when. But if it's a printed photo that's on our refrigerator or on our wall or something like that, I have to dig into my memory and think, was that Birmingham? Was that Palo Alto? Was that Orlando? Is that Portland? Were we on vacation? I don't remember those glasses that I have on in that picture, that watch, those shoes. Wow, I can't believe I ever wore that shirt. Wow, I had hair in that picture. Is that a baby picture of Nick or Oliver or Abby? Or Elliot, I can't tell right away. I have to look and remember, where were we when that picture was taken? You see, looking at a picture displaced from a a photo album, displaced from a chronology, displaced from a larger structure, 
uh, is confusing. It can be disorienting. And the same is true about the actual events that these pictures depict, that the photos capture, that we move from one house to the next. We move from one job to the next. We move from one experience to the next. And if they don't fit into an album, if they don't fit into a coherent structure, it's difficult to assign meaning to these events. It's hard to figure out how they fit into an overall story. If we don't know our story, if we don't know our place in the world, the events in our lives just seem like they're in a slideshow projected on the wall and the setting is on shuffle. They're just moving different pictures from different times are shown on the wall. It's like a slideshow set on random. And so we're starting a new series this morning to answer the question of how do I fit into God's story? How does this church fit into God's story? And particularly how that question is asked and then answered in public worship and in the Christian calendar. And how you come to answer this will direct how you deal with suffering. It will direct who you marry. It will guide you in how you manage your finances. It will, it will dictate how you go about your work. It will, in fact, dictate nothing less than everything. Now, here's the thing, that we're all living by a story this morning. Some of us know our story. We've thought about it intentionally. We know what we're looking for after life, and we're hard after it. Others of us are just living by inherited stories, stories that we just happen to be a part of. We haven't critiqued our own story. We haven't really thought well about what story we're inhabiting. Maybe it's a story that we've been sold by advertising. And one of the purposes of Christian worship, one of the purposes as we go through the Christian year during these different seasons is to figure out what story we're living by. That we're meant to identify and critique our own story, our narrative. What vision of the good life are we chasing hard after? What understanding of the future gives practical guidance to our lives and then to offer us an, an alternative, an alternative way of looking at the future, an alternative way of going about life? The liturgy we're going to look at this morning in the Christian calendar gives us a pattern of remembering it gives us something to anticipate based upon God's promises. And then it forms us. It changes our story. It invites us into a different story. It transforms who we are. Now imagine with me for a moment that you're an explorer. Like Robinson Crusoe, you've, show, you've woke, woken up and there's all these strange people. You don't know where you are. You've heard, never heard of Christians. You have no assumptions about who they are, what they believe. But you come upon a church and you, you pull open the door. And it could be a glass door of a storefront church. It could be the curtain of an Asian hut, a very small church. Or it could be a grand European cathedral. And you open the huge wooden doors and you walk in. And what do you see? What are the people there doing? And what does this say about the kind of people that they are? What does it say about what they love and who they love? What does it say about the sort of kingdom that they are imagining and trying to live out. Well, maybe in the cathedral, if you stick around for a while, you'll notice that the colors change. Maybe they go from green to purple to red to white. And if you stuck there, stayed around long enough, you would notice that there's a pattern. There's a recurring change of the scenery 
and of the decorations. And then in a storefront service, maybe you see a service where people have ashes that are placed on their foreheads. Another service begins lit by candles, and then they're slowly extinguished in darkness, and people leave in a very somber silence. Maybe you pull back the curtain of this Asian hut, and they're in a season of expectation or a season of denial and lament, and then a season of great joy. What does this mean? What are these people doing? What story are they participating in? Well, I propose to you this morning that Christians and the Christian story is not outlined by rules. It's not lived and defined by us and them dichotomies. It's not defined by and practiced by empty ritual. But Christianity is, in fact, a story that the rituals, that the seasons embody, that the Christian calendar embodies. And so, we should ask ourselves, what story are we living by? What story are you living by as an individual? What story are we living by as a church? Maybe for you, it's the end of the fiscal year. That's the big date on your calendar. And you're racing in the months leading up to that, trying to make your sales figures for the year. Maybe you're a student, and it's the school year. It's the calendar that the school has given you. And you're trying to work really hard so that you can get to summer and have fun. Maybe it's the monotonous grind of the work week, weekend cycle, where you buckle down for five days, you grit your teeth, you gut it out so that you can reward yourself with two days of pleasure. The calendar that we follow forms us and it defines us. And if we're brave enough to look at what populates our calendar, the big events as well as the mundane, it'll tell the story. It will tell you what is most important to you. It will reflect what you are ultimately striving for. From the very beginning of the Bible, from the very beginning where there were people who identified themselves with God, they were shaped by a calendar that was different from the secular calendars, different from the calendar that everyone else was following. They had Passover. They had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They had the Feast of Weeks. They had the Feast of Trumpets. They had the Day of Atonement. They had the Jubilee. And it didn't just mark time. These didn't just mark the turning of the seasons, but they were meant to identify and fasten these people into the story of God, into the story of what God was doing on their behalf and in their world. And then the early church picked up on the wisdom of ordering one's life, and ordering the church's life by the alternative celebrations. And they built a calendar around the acts of God in history as a way to root themselves in that story and to be formed more and more by that story. And so Epiphany, Advent, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, ordinary time, These things are meant more than just to mark the change of of seasons. They're meant to do more than just mark time. They're to tell a story. They're to incarnate the mercy and the redemptive work of God into your story, to root you more firmly in it. And living through the Christian year means living through the story of the incarnation, the life, death, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus. And it reminds us that we are people, 
that find their salvation in Jesus and await His return. The Christian year lays the story of Christ over the narrative of our individual lives and over the narrative of our church. Now let's look at our passage for just a moment with that as an intro. I said that one of the first parts of the Christian calendar of liturgy is remembrance. It's calling to mind that which God has already done. And we see in the, these verses in Colossians, the Apostle Paul is calling Christians to the act of remembrance. Remember, in Christ, all things were created. Remember, God's fullness dwelt in Christ. Remember that God was pleased to reconcile the world to Himself. Remember, once you were alienated from God, but now He has reconciled you and made you holy. Past tense, remember that these things have happened by the power of God. And Christian liturgy and the liturgical year orient the church to its past, to its foundation, to the work of Jesus on its behalf. And it calls you to look back and remember your foundation, to never forget the story of what God has done in your life. Now we read four passages of, this, of Scripture in our worship service each and every week. During Advent and Easter season, we read five. But we read an Old Testament, a, a psalm, we read a New Testament passage, and a gospel. And one of the ones in the Old Testament that we come back to very often is Deuteronomy 6. Remind your children, saying, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders against Egypt before our eyes. In other words, remember what I have done on your behalf and keep telling the story. Tell your children the story. Remind them. Have holy seasons of remembrance of what God has done. And for Christians, of course, that story revolves around Jesus of Nazareth, the acts of salvation that he accomplished in time and in space in history. Verses 15 through 16, remember Jesus is the creator God who made all things. Verse 18, remember that he is the king who was crucified, died, and was raised from the dead and who reigns now at God's right hand. Ash Wednesday, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, they all invite us backwards. They invite us to look at our roots, to look at our foundation, to remember the power that was unleashed at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. That God made his home, that God died for people like you and me, that he dies for outcasts, that he's constantly moving towards the forgotten, the displaced, the alienated, the broken, and calling them his people. We are called to remember that. Robert Weber, who I quoted in your bulletin, has written a great deal on Christian worship and liturgy and particularly about the Christian calendar. And he says, Christian year spirituality is nothing less than, call, than the calling to enter by faith into the incarnation, the life and ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus. God's saving action is not only presented to us through the practice of the Christian year, it also takes up resonance within us and transforms us by the saving and healing presence of Christ in our lives. As we enter the saving events of Jesus, He shapes us by the pattern of His own living and dying, 
so that our living and dying in this world is a living and dying in Him. Not only are these seasons calling us to remember, they're also calling us to anticipate a future. We read in verse 19 and 20 that we're not only looking back, but that Christian liturgy, that the Christian year is giving us an orientation towards the future. Do you remember when we studied 1 Peter? And he called the church, he called you if you're a Christian, strangers and aliens in this world. And our worship each week in the liturgical calendar trains our imagination to be eschatological. That word means that what God is doing in the future is then brought into the present. That you're living in the present based upon what you know to be true about the future. And that you live in anticipation of the time where God, through Jesus Christ, heals and restores the world. And that you are part of a people, if you are part of the church, who live under the reality that not only you as an individual are reconciled to God, as it says in verse 22, but verse 20, that all things will be reconciled to God, made new, put to rights through the work of Jesus. And this enables you and I to look at the broken world around us, to look at our own broken lives, and to know that that's not the end of the story. And that's not the world as it will be. That's not our lives as they will be when the kingdom of God finally comes. One of the best movies from the 1980s has to be Back to the Future. And Marty McFly travels back in time from 1985 to 1955. But he knows the future. He knows what is going to happen. He knows that the girl who has the hots for him is actually his mom. He knows that Doc Brown is gunned down by the terrorist at the Twin Pines Mall. And these future events, which for all practical purposes have already happened in 1955 for Marty McFly, they direct his life. They direct his choices. They direct his decisions. He goes around, what was the name of their town? I can't remember. But he lives in that town based upon what he knows to be true about the future. We are reminded each year during Advent, for example, that we await the Messiah, that we await, we anticipate the advent of justice and the inbreaking of peace, and we live in light of that future event. We live in light of what we know to be true of that future, as if it has already come to pass. And year after year, the church is called to practice this expectation as we enter this season of holy impatience, crying, come quickly. Lord Jesus. We do the same each week as we come to the Lord's Supper. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until what? Until He comes again. Advent, the Lord's Supper, trains you, trains us to be forward-looking people. To anticipate the future of what God will do. Not only then remembering, but also anticipating. And what are those two things meant to do? They are meant to transform you, to make you new, to invite you into that story, to link up your story to the overarching big story of what God is doing in the world. We miss the point, you see, when we turn Christian liturgy or the liturgical year into a ritualistic repetition. This is just what we do. Or... It's a sentimental wish-making about the future. 
the purpose of remembering and anticipating God's saving acts is that we would enter into that story and be formed by it. The liturgy invites us each and every week in the Christian liturgical calendar invites us throughout seasons in the year, as it says in verse 22, to be reconciled to God through Jesus' life, work, and death. Verse 22, to be made holy, free from any blemish, immune to any accusation, and also to enable you to continue to live by faith in in his work, to sit firmly in the hope of the gospel week after week, year after year. And when we find ourselves living in that hope, sitting in that hope, being reminded and reformed in that hope week after week, year after year, you find yourself being, tr- being changed. You find yourself beginning to live by that story. That story becomes yours. When we pay attention, when we mark our days by the Christian story, it affects every relationship. It affects every decision. It affects every action and attitude. As you're called to worship, you're reminded that you are not the center of the universe. As you're invited to confession, you are told again that you are a forgiven person and thus you can offer forgiveness to others. As we sing together, we look around and notice that we're not alone in this journey, that we have brothers and sisters next to us that are meant to love and help us and us to them. As we give of our resources, we're drawn out of the priorities of self-interest and we're invested into the lives of others. As we pray, we are formed as people who, like Jesus, concern themselves with the good of others. And as we're commissioned, we're told to go and love and serve this world as those who await the time where Jesus will bring his healing presence upon the broken things in our world once and for all. The liturgy, the Christian calendar, invites you into a story that is not formed by your successes or your failures, your accomplishments or your sin, but by the life, death, resurrection, and future return of Jesus. That is your story. That is our story. And I'll leave you with this as we come to confess our faith and come to the table a quote from Mark Golly, who has written uh, a great deal on Christian liturgy. He says, For people who find themselves storyless are with a story that has no larger meaning than the self. <clears throat> the liturgy is a salvation. It shows that we do not have to abandon hope. We don't have to fabricate a new myth to force meaning onto the world. We can participate in the very story of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has created and redeemed us, who has gathered us to himself already in a great feast, and who promises in the last act to gather all things on heaven and earth to himself so that we may feast together for eternity. Let's practice that as we come to the table. Let's pray. Father, again, I pray that you would shape us through this series, you would shape us as we continue to work, worship each and every week, that you would form us by the liturgy, that we wouldn't do these things just because they have historical precedent, but we would do them to be shaped into your story, to be invited and drawn into the story of your redemptive purposes for the world. 
Lord, I pray that in town would participate not only willingly, but eagerly in that redemptive process. And we as individuals would join you in what you're already doing in the world and be formed by the story that you're writing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.